It's actually kind of nice to see that we have enough chairs. Uh, last, if you weren't here last week, our 9.30 service, we ran out of chairs entirely. We were pulling chairs in from the kids, so they had to stand up the whole time. Uh, not that we pulled in those little chairs where, you know, you had to sit. And it was, they were adult chairs, but uh, it was certainly a great problem to have. And if you're back from having come to Easter and this is your second time, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I, I trust that you will have a wonderful experience. Uh, your anonymity will be protected, I can assure you of that. Uh, before we jump into our new study for the next three weeks, uh, it's Volunteer Appreciation Sunday, and we want to spotlight a gentleman by the name of Dave Roberts. So if he'll pop up on the screen here, Dave is our grounds maintenance lead. That's not Dave, we'll get to Dave. JD. Well, also there is Dave right there. Dave is on, and that's his favorite place is to be in our John Deere tractor. Uh, and he he comes out religiously regularly. We are so thankful for Dave. He's not here, I know that, but he might be watching this. So can we give Dave just a little bit of love? Yeah. We are very thankful for that. We also had a couple weeks before Easter, we had over 50 people here on Landscaping Day. If you were a part of Landscaping Day, could you stand up, you and your family? Anybody here that was a part of Landscaping Day? Okay, so keep, don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And, and Chris, stay standing for a minute. Chris donated a boatload of work gloves from his company, which was very nice of him. So, Chris, thank you very much, my friend. It was really cool to see, uh, and God gave us the sun, it didn't rain on us, and uh, watching everybody uh, involved with the, even the young uh, kids being involved was great. They apparently uh, have been deprived as children of riding in the back of a pickup truck because that became the big ride. When they would dump all that we pulled up back in the, the back of the property, they just were like lining up, can we get in, can we get in? So it was a great time by everybody. I'm very, very thankful for that. Well, let me pray, and then we'll jump into our study. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us and that you care greatly about us, and you've given us your word by which to know who you are and who we are and how we can relate with you in a way, Lord God, that brings joy and peace and meaning and purpose. We are in here, and, and you have wired in us an understanding and a desire for not a broken life, but a blessed life. And Father, I pray that you would speak through me as I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. I pray this teaching would serve the purpose of helping us to understand what it really means to be children of God, what it means to have a blessed life. And Father, for those who are here who do not know you, who maybe are just kicking tires, if I can say it that way, Lord God, checking things out spiritually, I pray you would meet them in a way they never thought possible, never even imagined uh, the love that you have for them, and that that would come out in every aspect of what we do this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to, I noticed that we weren't giving much love to the Old Testament as of late. And so I thought it would be appropriate that we look at a, a, a book of the Old Testament before the church year ends. The church year end typically goes along with the, with the school year. So we'll start a new church year, kind of when the school year starts, and I'll, I'll go away for a summer, uh, for a little bit during the summer, and I'll figure out the messages for the next year, try to do that. But I had noticed that we really didn't have a whole lot of love going for the Old Testament. So I thought it would be really uh, meaningful if we, what, what's, what's a book we could go through rather quickly, because summer's coming, and uh, we're going to go through uh, some more Old Testament books. I'm not going to tell you what those are uh, during the summer, but I wanted to get Jonah in. And so we're going to take three weeks to go through Jonah. 
And to, to start, uh, to kind of understand the first chapter, be honest now, answer honestly. How many of you like to run in the form of exercise? Raise your hand. You like to run? Yeah, okay. I'm glad I'm well represented because I didn't raise my hand. Right? Um, I, I cannot stand to run unless it's up and down a basketball court or something like that. I mean, I'll, I work out four to five days a week, but I ride a bike. Running is just, oh, I just don't, I don't get it. A while back, and I mean a while back, we had a guy in our church at High Point. He's since moved to California. He's one of those ultra marathoners. Like he runs 100 miles without stopping. And I, I just, that's otherworldly to me. I, I do not, I do not get that. Um, but that being said, surprisingly today, we're going to find out that we all, we all run. We, we, we may not, some of you like running, and again, you're just, you're very unique, and I, I love the fact that you love running. But we're going to talk about a running that we all do today, might be even doing it right now, that doesn't serve us in a cardio way. It doesn't serve us in uh, extending our lives. And as a matter of fact, if we keep running, it works very much against us. And we have a wonderful person in the name of Jonah, who was a runner. And so we're going to um, explore the first two chapters of Jonah, the book of Jonah this morning, to see him running and, and learn from him what not to do when it comes to running, because he is a runner. Now, we got to understand Jonah for a minute. Jonah is, he's like a grumpy, angry prophet of God. Uh, when we go through these four chapters, you're going to kind of go, wow, if he made it into the book of the Bible, there's hope for me. Because Jonah is constantly butting heads with God. Uh, you'll see that his, um, his, his anger and his, his kind of just being cranky uh, really has no basis. Uh, but we see the grace of God in response, and, and I hope that that's somewhat encouraging to you. So uh, let's, let's kind of learn from Jonah. To do that, let's get our Bibles open to our table of contents. Jonah's in the Old Testament. It's one of the 12 minor prophets, which is the latter uh, 12 books of the Old Testament. So if you'll look and find the book of Jonah, it's about two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of the way down in your Old Testament table of contents. And turn to whatever that page is. You're going to be in Jonah. And we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we're going to look at Jonah the runner and see how we can identify with Jonah's running, because I believe we all do that at some point and maybe even doing it right now. But with that, let me start with Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, he paid the fare and went down, into, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Okay, let's, geography, we need some geography here, all right? Picture the Mediterranean, picture Israel, where Israel is, all right? The, the town of Nineveh, which is today present-day Mosul, you've probably heard of Mosul just with the war in Iraq, so Mosul is the present-day city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was particularly noted for its cruelty, its wickedness. I mean, it was wickedly evil. They found pleasure in torturing uh, and killing their enemies without any question. And God is calling Jonah to go there and to preach against Nineveh. It would be like if he 
called one of us in this room and said, go to, to, to the ISIS territory and preach against it. You're thinking, what? I mean, this is colossally hard what God is asking or commanding Jonah to do. And, and we see that because Jonah's going, no way, not doing it. Says no to God. Now, what we're actually going to find out in chapter 4 is what you might think in the way of fear. I mean, that's certainly, I mean, if, if God commanded you right now, and, and I, it's certainly possible <laughs> that you might walk out of here and God has, has truly touched you in a way. And he said, I want you to sell everything. I want you to go over to the Middle East. There'll be somebody there, and, and they will take you in deep into the ISIS leaders, and I want you to go preach against them. I mean, just try to put yourself there, okay? Because that is what Jonah is being commanded by God to do. It is incredibly hard, yet fear is not his biggest obstacle. And we'll see that in chapter 4, so I'm going to wait till chapter 4. But fear is not his biggest obstacle. So God commands, and Jonah's... Gets up and what does he do? He goes exactly the opposite direction. Now, we're not really sure if Tarshish is truly a, a legitimate town or not. It's quite possible that it is Spain. So picture the Mediterranean. Uh, uh, the Syrian Empire is, is pretty much, it's northern Iraq and southern Turkey. So it's straight north from Jerusalem. Jonah goes straight west as far as he can. Tarshish might stand for as far as he can get in the known world. He's, he's leaving. He's getting out of town. God says, go do this. Jonah says, nah, no, I'm not going to do that. And he tries to outrun God. He finds, as he goes down, there's a ship waiting for him. God sovereignly provided a ship for him, he might be thinking. But what he's doing is he's clearly, he's saying, I'm not doing it. And you know what? When we disobey God, every time we disobey God, we are trying to outrun him. We're trying to think like, wait, no, God, I know what's better for me. I know what I really want. I know what will make me happy. I, I want to decide what's right and wrong in what's going on in my life right now. And every time we disobey God, every time we go outside of what God has commanded us, we are running. That's why I said before, all of us have run from God. Some of you might be running right now as Jonah is running. And I'm curious. Is there anything that right now is kind of lodged in your mind and your thoughts, maybe even your heart, where you know God wants you to do something and you're running? You're looking to go to Tarshish. I don't know what it is. Maybe God is saying to you, quit, stop living together and having sex outside of marriage. Stop it. Maybe, maybe that's what's going on. Maybe he's um, saying, to the best of your ability, reconcile that relationship that's broken. Maybe it's with a friend or a family member. Maybe it's your marriage. I wonder if anyone in here is trying to run from God in your marriage. You're just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to try to reconcile. I'm not going to love unconditionally. I, I'm not going to seek forgiveness. I'm not going to forgive. I'm running. I'm getting out of Dodge. I'm taking off. Maybe it's to give sacrificially to God's work. Maybe God's saying, give to my work. Help other people, and you're just not real interested in doing that. Maybe it's share your, sharing your faith. Maybe it's taking what you've learned and who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Maybe he's saying, share it with your neighbor. Share it with your coworker. Talk to the barista that you get coffee with every morning. Talk to them. No, God, I'm not going to do it. Or maybe it's to break off an unhealthy relationship. You know it's just not working for you. 
That person is bringing you down. That person is um, causing you to compromise your faith. And God is saying, stop, do this. But you're like going, no, I'm not. And so you're running. I mean, I, I've, I've been running before. I know what that's like. And we've all run from God before. We've all done what Jonah is doing. And in a moment, we're going to see it, there's, a, there's a cost to it. There's, there's a price to it. Now, the question is, how do we know when we're running from God? How do we know when we're disobeying God? Well, we have it right here. God has given us his word right here. The Bible says that we've been given in these 66 books everything we need for a life of godliness. So when you come across something from what you're reading or, or when someone is teaching God's word, or you read a devotion or something like that, and you, you can feel inside your heart go, mm, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I'm afraid to do that. That's going to cost me something. And then we begin to run. And we try to outrun God in our disobedience. And here's what's amazing about when you try to outrun God or when you try to run away from God. There will always, always be an attractive alternative to what God wants you to do. Always. What is, what is, what's the attractive alternative for Jonah? There's this boat that just happens to be there. And he happens to make it. And it's going as far away from the, from the people and land of God as it possibly can. And, and Jonah gets on it. There will always be, my friends, an attractive alternative to what God wants you to do. You don't have to look far. Going back to uh, that uh, way in which God might be calling you to, to, and, and commanding you to, to stop doing something or to start doing something... Uh, to the person who God is saying, quit living together. You're maybe in your mind, and, and this is where a lot of those attractive alternatives come. We rationalize, we justify. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I love him. I, I love, we're going to get married. And somehow we try to rationalize that. And, and it's an attractive alternative because, because stopping doing that is hard. But there'll always be that attractive term. Uh, maybe it's... Um, God's been saying, dude, get a job. Get a job. And you're thinking, well, I'm waiting for the right thing for what, I re what really kind of, you know, floats my boat kind of thing. You know, there's that attractive alternative to kind of rationalize that. When it's coming to reconcile a relationship, you might be thinking, yep, okay, that, that's really hard when I think about it. But you know what? I'll tell you what's attractive is just another relationship. Maybe it's another marriage. Maybe it's another friendship. Maybe it's another employer. But rather than try to reconcile, it's just easier to say, I'm cutting and I'm running. Maybe giving to God's work. God's saying, give to God's work. Give to help other people. You're thinking, yeah, but there's this vacation home that we can get and a family. We can all be together and it'll just keep us closer as a family. There's always going to be that attractive alternative. Maybe it's to share your faith, right, to your neighbor, your coworker, to the barista. You might be, that's what God's saying. Talk to them. Tell them who I am. Tell them what I'm doing in your life. And maybe you just kind of rationalize, go, you know what, that might be too much for them, God. They may not be, I'm just going to continue to be friendly and maybe they'll figure it out. The point is, there's always, my friends, there's always going to be an attractive alternative. There was an attractive alternative for Jonah. And what does it say he did? It says there, he paid the fare. My friends, when we run from God, when we disobey God, and we think we're getting away with it, there is always a cost to that. You will always pay something. I will always pay something. We cannot get away from that. 
And, I'm, and, and in particular, I'm talking about to, to Christ followers now. Because when you have the Spirit of God inside of you and you, you're running from God, there's going to be conviction. There's going to be, God's, God loves you too much to let you keep running. In, in a moment, we're going to see how much God loves Jonah and the extent to which he goes to not let Jonah get away. And so we have this conviction. Have you ever tried to be at peace and really just be at joy with what's going on when God is convicting you, saying, this is what I want you to do. Now do it. He's relentless, as we will see here in a moment. To those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you still have been created in the image of God. You're an image bearer. And that means that God has, in, has hardwired into you, imprinted into you, is still an understanding of right and wrong. There's still a basis for that. Maybe it's your own uh, code of moral uh, ethics and what have you. But if, if you were to look at them, if you were to write them down, you'd see a lot of similarities to those that are in here. Why? Because you are created in the image of God. He's given you an understanding of right and wrong. Now, where it goes wrong is you want to define that in and of yourself. That's what Adam and Eve want to do. That, that's why they were kicked out of the garden. And so when you have that, there's guilt and shame when you can't even keep your own moral standards. That's what happens. There's a cost. You're going to pay the fare. There's a lack of closeness with God. When we're running from God, there's a lack of closeness uh, there. Or God will discipline us. Again, you'll see in a moment, God goes to great lengths, um, allows, um, not metaphorically, but literally a storm to come in the life of Jonah because he paid the fare. And God did not want him to get away because he loved him. And out of grace, he had a, a calling on his life. So... There is a cost. Now, let's look at what happens after that. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sea was angry that day, my friends, like an old man trying to send soup back at the deli. I just quoted a very famous theologian, George Costanza. I told my wife I was going to work in a Seinfeld expression. I just had to. Anyway, sorry I dated myself. Uh, the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him. And said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and he won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let us cast lots. Then we will know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? The men, he was fleeing, the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm the sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with this innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. 
Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more as they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord, God, now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. So notice what happens. God hurls, it says, a violent wind that is a storm. You, you can sense that God is he's, he's upset. He is not happy with Jonah, but he's not given up on Jonah. And so he hurls this violent storm into the life of Jonah, into the, to the sea upon which Jonah is trying to escape, trying to run from God to get to Tarshish. And the sailors all start turning to their gods, right? They're praying, and, and, and they're, they're, they're a polytheistic people. They're, they're, there's many gods, and they're praying to their many gods to help them, and it's not, it's not working. And then someone remembers, wait a minute, there's a guy down in the bottom of the boat. Maybe his god is behind what's going on. And so the captain goes down and says to Jonah, get up. Jonah is sleeping. Now, whether he's just exhausted because, you know, what happens is with disobedience, with when we sin against God, there's a momentary excitement maybe to it. But there is a long-term uh, exhaustion. When God is convicting you, when God is pursuing you, and maybe he was just exhausted, and the captain comes and wakes him up and says, get up and call to your God. Maybe it's your God that's behind this. Now, I want to just parenthetically say this for a moment. When you're running from God... Your prayer life is a mess, right? My prayer life is a mess. You see, our prayer life, I mean, what we're praying about, how often we're praying. I mean, the Bible talks about praying without ceasing and, and, and how we approach God and how often we approach Him. And what do, what do we bring before Him? Your prayer life and my prayer life will say a lot about how close you are with God. And if you're running from God, mm, there's not a whole lot of prayer going on. There's not a whole lot being said. And that's exactly where Jonah is. He is running, and he doesn't even pray. He just, he gets up, and then at the same time, you've got the sailors on, uh, on top deck. They're throwing dice. They're trying to figure out who is to blame, who and where is the problem. And they realize that it is Jonah. And they come to him. And rather than Jonah stopping and forgiving, asking God for, for forgiveness and repenting and, and, and saying, it's me, it's me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. What did he say? Throw me in, boys. Jonah would rather die than do what God commanded him. Is there anybody in here like that right now? Would you rather be dead? Would you rather die than do what God wants you to do? I mean, when you think about it, what he wants you to do, does it just seem so overwhelming to you? Just take me now, God. Because that's where Jonah is. He would rather die than follow what God was telling him to do. And then we see God has sovereignly allowed this storm. He has control of, of the weather. He has control of the sea. He has control of the dice that they're rolling, the, the lots that they're casting that, that, that come up and, and, and point to Jonah. And then he also has right there in the water, he has a large, huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now, most people have a problem with the book of Jonah. Most people associate with the book of Jonah a dude getting swallowed by a whale. Right? That's what it is. And because they cannot understand and accept that or believe that, because it's beyond the realm of possibility, they kind of either toss Jonah aside altogether or they, they look at it as kind of um, a story that really didn't happen uh, and that uh, 
that you're just supposed to metaphorically draw spiritual truth from that. Well, let me just give you a few things to consider. Jesus apparently thought that the Jonah story was legit. Because in Matthew chapter 12, when, when they're pressing Jesus for a sign for who he is, show us something really special. Come on, Jesus, you're the guy. Do a trick for us. Jesus says this, For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it because they repented at, at Jonah's proclamation. So Jesus goes back and, and gives credibility, historical credibility to Jonah. So we, we've got that going for us. Now, this is one that I, I think was really um, more current. Would you believe we're coming up on, uh, it's been a little less than a year. On June 11th, 2020, I remember when this first came out, I went and chased it back down uh, last night because I go, yeah, I remember reading about that. Michael Packard was a, is a 56-year-old Cape Cod lobster diver. And he was at the bottom of Cape Cod Bay getting lobsters because lobsters, that's where they hang out, I guess. And he got swallowed up by a whale, a sperm whale. And he said he was in the mouth of the whale for 20 to 30 seconds. And apparently the, the, the whale realized this ain't no lobster. And it came up to the surface and was shaking his mouth and, and tossed the dude out. And he got out. I mean, you go look it up. Okay, that, just less than a year ago. So when we think that it's impossible for that to happen, just consider that we have something somewhat close, and it was a humpback whale, I'm sorry. For those whale enthusiasts, I didn't want to throw you off. But something like that isn't, doesn't make it hard outside the realm of possibility to believe that this really, truly, literally happened, okay? Now, let me give you the, 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 the Christian explanation, okay? Thankful to have the story I just shared with you. But here's how I look at this miracle. Here's how I look at all the miracles of Scripture. We have some strong, reliable evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for a dead man coming back to life. And to me, if God can bring a dead man back to life, what can't he do? And by faith, I, I believe that. By faith, I believe this was truly what happened, literally what happened. Because by faith, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And I, and I have some reasonableness to my faith. And so if he can do that, if that's the greater thing, then he can do something like this. But I don't want to get too off track on this. Let's, what's the point of all this? The point is when you go back to the storm and you go back to the dice that are being rolled. And, and you go back to the, the large fish that's just waiting for him. What we see is we see the sovereignty of God. And he has sovereign ways, my friends, in which he will always be ahead of you. You'll never outrun him. His will's going to be done. And he sovereignly sees that, in this case, through Jonah, he uses a storm, he uses dice, and he uses a whale. I don't, I don't know what he's going to use in your life. I don't know what he is using in your life. I don't know what he will use, but he can use anything. But before we, I want to say a little bit more about that, but let's go back for a moment, and I want you to notice something that I think we have to consider when we're running from God. We never run alone. The implication, the cost, the effect, the impact when we're running from God is not isolated to just ourselves. 
Jonah, when he was running, put the sailors in peril, crying out for their gods. And we do the same thing. When we're running from God, we never, we never do that alone. We might think we're doing it alone, but we, we never do that alone. To the person in here who, who, who's watching pornography and you think, it's just me. My friends, it's not just you. Because how you see your spouse changes. And when they understand what you're doing, how they see themselves changes. And it impacts them. And it hurts them. When, when you bring debt into marriage and, and when, you, when you have more than you really can afford and you bring it in because you, you either want things or you've got to keep this certain standard of living, my friends, you're bringing insecurity into your family. Running from God never is something that happens alone. When you try to just lose yourself and, and, and numb yourself with, with a drug or with a drink because of how hard life is, my friends, you hurt your family, you hurt friends who care about you, who try to intervene and, and, and want to see you stop, but you keep going. You hurt other people. Mom and dad, when you're not growing spiritually, when you're not pursuing Jesus, my friends, you're hurting your children. The greatest spiritual mentors in their lives will be you. And the trajectory of your spiritual life and walk with Jesus will be theirs starting out. And so when, you, when you're not doing that, when you're not pursuing that, my, you're hurting your kids. Your kids are being, they're the collateral damage to you running from God. When, when, um, when greed kind of prevails in your life and, 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 and it's all about getting as much as you can here and living um, high on the hog here, living large, you're, you're, you're teaching your kids that life is all about money, that it's all about wealth, that it's all about comfort and convenience, and that hurts them. That is collateral damage, and that's what happens. That's what happens when we run from God. Now, let me circle back to God's sovereignty, because we see God's sovereignty in, many, in its many different forms here in Jonah's life. And what we have to understand, and what's powerful about this, is that God works through everything He's created. He can work through it all. He can work through anyone that he wants to work through. And his will's going to be done. God is going to be at the finish line of your life. He's going to be waiting for you. And it's going to be either a day of judgment if you've been running from him and have forsaken him. He's, he's going to beat you. And he's going to win. And he's going to judge you. And he's going to judge you and, con and condemn you for rejecting him to life eternally in hell. That, that's not me. It's not what I wish. It's not what I want. But that's what God's word says. Or he's going to be standing at the end to those who are followers of Jesus. And he's going to welcome you in to a life eternity with him, to a new heaven and a new earth. God will be at the finish line. And he uses every part of life to help you get there. He uses every part of life to keep you from running. It's kind of like when you draw a bath for your kids and you mix in bubble bath, right? Or you pour a drink of water and, and you put some powder and then you mix it up. I mean, you're, you're autonomous. You, you are in control of all of that. You recognize that, right? Well, my friends, God does that with the oceans of the world and the weather patterns of the world. He has all of that and controls all of that. As a matter of fact, Let's read Jonah's prayer. And let me show you something I think is pretty powerful related to his sovereignty. In Jonah chapter 2, so he's in the fish. He's in the belly of the whale. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out 
for help in the, in the belly of Shoal. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths. Did you pick up on that? Who threw Jesus? <laughs> Who threw Jonah? Into the sea, the sailors. The sailors did, right? And yet Jonah is recognizing that it wasn't ultimately the sailors. It was God's will. And it was his desire. He said, throw me in. And, and the sailors said, at first they didn't, right? The, the sailors were more compassionate for Jonah than he was for them. But then eventually they went, whoop. And Jonah recognizes that through even people, God's will is going to prevail. God is working through people. He's not working against their wills. He's not working against their emotions. He's not working against their desires. He's not working against their preferences. Somehow, supernaturally, in a way we cannot comprehend, it is a mystery to us that God's will will prevail while we act willfully in the way that we want. And Jonah recognizes that. He says, you threw me into the depths. People are not robots. We're not puppets. But God somehow, in his mystery of who he is, works his will out. And Jonah ends up in the belly of a whale, and he prays. He says, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. He's, he's remembering, uh, and God was, was, to them, God was located in the temple. He's remembering um, what that was like when it meant something to him. The waters engulfed me up to the neck. The, water, the watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the bottom of the mountains. The earth with its prison's bars closed behind me forever, but you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh, my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. He's talking about the sailors. The sailors were reaching out to their idols. They were grasping for, for what was not going to be able to help them. But he says, God, I know you're going to help me. He says, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. And then comes the biggest burp in the history of mankind. <laughs> then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What, what I want to point out about this is that Jonah, through the sovereignty of God, came to realize, I can't outrun him. And where's it getting me? And then he, he vows. He realizes it is better for me to obey God than it is to try to outrun him. I just can't do it. And he says, salvation is from the Lord. He recognizes that, that God is sending him to a hated place. If you're Jewish, it's a hated place. This is your arch enemy. But that is where God has commanded him to go. And he tried to outrun that. And some of you are trying to outrun what God wants you to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging, I'm, I'm begging you, please stop running. Trust him. Do what's right by him. It's how life works. And he says, salvation is from the Lord. And, and the powerful thing here is I want to take the spotlight off of Jonah here for a moment. And what I want to do is I want to put a spotlight on God. Do you see in this 
how determined God is for his message to get out to everyone. Even to the Assyrians who hate God's covenantal people. Who have done wickedly evil things to his covenantal people. But God's global concern and love for all is powerful in the sending of Jonah to the Assyrians, to Nineveh. Do you sense that? Do you, can, you, can, you, can you pick that up? It, it, um, you know, going back to when he said to Jonah, when it first started, he says, get up and go. And, and to me, when I hear that, I'm reminded of what Jesus said to the church as this mission is continued. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Church, let me ask you, church, are we running from the mission we've been given to go, to get up and go? Are we running? Is High Point running? Is the church in America running? Are you running? Am I running? I wonder if God is calling some of you right now. I wonder if God is calling some of you right now to go. I mean, we've got a mission wall out there. Jonathan and Molly Schultz have gone. Is there somebody else in here that God might be nudging you, stirring you, drawing you to leave here and go there? At the very least, I hope and pray in my own life as I hope and pray in your lives is that we sense the call to go outside our front door every morning realizing it is a mission field. And we can carry out the mission that God has given us to go therefore and make disciples. And the only reason we can do it, the only reason we can do it is because there has been one man in history and there will only be one man in history who did not run from God when he was commanded to go. Jesus came from heaven, seated at the, seated at the right hand of God. He came and he gave up his life. He was crucified on a tree for the sins of all humanity, and God judged Jesus for your sin and my sin, and he died, and he was in a tomb for three days. As he said he would be in a familiar way, in an analogous way to Jonah, being in the belly of a fish for three days. And it's because of that sacrifice and then God's resurrection of that man to whom we worshiped and celebrated last week, that we can be changed, we can be different, we can be new, and we can be sent out. So, can we stop running? My challenge for us this week, would you please reflect on where might you be running? Where might you be running? And stop. Say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm stopping. And then secondly, would you consider how can you be a part of God's global concern for all people through prayer, through financial support, through going, through mission trips? I mean, the, the, the doors are open. We're, we're going to be doing that again. But just give some thought to that, okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you for someone like Jonah who butted heads with you, who ran from you. Thank you for preserving this book so that we could see your grace and your sovereignty and your global concern for all people i pray lord that we would not just read it and leave it i pray we would read and reflect 
and ask you, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? That we would, Father, be the church, aiming to know Jesus and to make him known. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.